it's too short for shit books. That's the mantra of the book alchemist which celebrates the joy of reading and brilliant reads. Our guests are from all walks of life and today's guest is both an avid reader and an author. Her brilliant debut novel, Ginger and Me, is a coming-of-age mystery that is also a love letter to her hometown of Uddingston. We discuss the books which Elisa loves and the ones which have shaped her life. So you uh, wrote your first novel called Ginger and Me. So for anyone who hasn't yet read this brilliant book, tell us the premise of Ginger and Me. Well, Ginger and Me tells the story of two young working-class Scottish girls. Wendy, she's 19, she's a bus driver and also an aspiring writer, and Ginger, who's 15. So when the book opens, Wendy's in prison. So right away we're wondering, what, what, what she do, what's happened? Why is she there? So it's partly a mystery, and there's a lot of mystery surrounding Ginger's home life, which we don't find out about what, what's been going on with her until the end of the book. It's partly a coming-of-age tale. So Ginger is Wendy's first ever best friend. So we see them doing things that best friends do, you know, you know, learn to put on makeup, going for days out, going for nights out. And it's all great uh, until it isn't. Uh, and then Ginger gets Wendy in all sorts of nonsense, all sorts of trouble. And um, yeah. In terms of writing, you came into writing a novel quite late in life, didn't you? I did, yeah, I did. I didn't start writing until I was in my 40s. Um, although, like most writers, I think, I was always, always going to be a writer, just without doing that really inconvenient thing of actually writing. <laughs> <laughs> so I can remember, you know, when I went to uni, I studied law at university, but um, in my head, I was still always going to be a writer. But I really didn't do any writing. And after university, you know, I had a career, I had family, which I think, you know, many women do. And, and writing is just put on the back burner. All, all our sort of uh, personal endeavours are put on the back burner and, you know, in favour of family and, and all this sort of thing. Um, but once my youngest son went to school, I, I, I did say to myself, well, you know, it's really now or never, Elisa. Uh -huh. You either put your money where your mouth is and do a bit of writing or, you know, you just have to wave goodbye to that ambition forever. And, you know, I really didn't want to do that. So I started writing and um, I, I had a wee bit of success with short stories and this sort of thing. Um, and then when I saw the Prima Donna competition in 2019, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to go for that. I'm just going to enter that. 500 words, I can do it, why not? And I won it. So, uh, yeah, to my great uh, <laughs> uh, shock and uh, surprise. Brilliant. So congratulations on that. Do you think that sort of gave you the confidence to make the next step to go from a short story to a novel? Oh, definitely. I mean, th there was... Very, you know, there's practical aspects of winning the prima donna. So I had access to an agent. I had access to um, publishers. These are practical things. But definitely one of the main benefits for me of winning prima donna was it made me say to myself, well, maybe I'm quite good then. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I should be giving this a bit more of my time and a bit more of my effort. And I think just the validation from... Um, you know, the judges were people like Lem C. Say, Joanne Harris. I mean, mm -hmm. these are good, good writers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to say to yourself, well, if you like my writing, well, yeah. okay, then I'm, I'm, I'm really going to uh, pursue this. Absolutely. And the book has been so well received, hasn't it? I mean, I've, I've seen it all over social media. I know that lots of booksellers really got behind it and absolutely love it. Well, I think particularly in Scotland and, you know, one of the things I really wanted to do with Ginger and Me, I wanted 
I wanted people to really think about young girls like Wendy and Ginger who are born with no privilege, no choices, um, and think about what, what's it like to be, you know, just to give a voice to that kind of person. And uh, I've really been delighted by the way that people have really rooted for those characters, mm -hmm. got behind them. And, you know, when you say they got behind the book, I feel as though they're getting behind Wendy and Ginger. Yes. And, and you know, really enthusing about them and, and, and willing them to do well. Part of the book is, it's set in Glasgow, isn't it? Just outside Glasgow, Uddingston. Uddingston, which is obviously home to Tunnock's Tea Cakes. Indeed, and Tunnock's does feature quite heavily. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like when you receive positive feedback on the book? I particularly enjoy getting positive feedback from local people. Mm -hmm. So I am from Uddingston myself, so I know Uddingston really well. And, you know, I often, uh, maybe shouldn't say this because it's Greg's, but I often <laughs> go up to Greg's rather than Tunnock's um, <laughs> for my coffee in the morning. And, you know, at least once a week, um, somebody will say to me, oh God, I read your book. Yeah. And in fact, last week I was walking by Uddingston Cross and somebody shouted out their car window, I'm listening to Ginger and me on audio. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it really is good. You know, it, 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 it just feels like validation for all the work and effort that you've put in to get mm -hmm. this far. Mm -hmm. And in terms of promotion, what's it like promoting the books? I think when you're, and you can explain about this, when you're an author, you've really got to promote yourself and your work, haven't you? You really have, and I think that is definitely something that you have to just get your head around. There's no way out of it. You're, you're going to have to tell people about yourself, uh, about your background, why you wrote the book. Um, and I know myself as a reader, I, I'm interested in these things and other authors. So, of course, you, you have to play the game yourself when, when you're an author. But we were talking earlier on about how we met here, yes. which um, was at a showcase at uh, Waterstones on Sucky Hall Street. And um, you, you have good memories of it. Mine are not, not so great um, <laughs> because I, I completely misunderstood what I was supposed to be doing. I wasn't prepared at all. Uh, I thought I was just going to go and drink a wee glass of wine with the booksellers, have a chat, yep. definitely could do that. Um, <laughs> arrived, was given a microphone and told to talk all about my book. <laughs> so I nearly had a heart attack. Um, I was followed on stage by Juno Dawson, who was absolutely phenomenal, which, which just made me look even worse. <laughs> no. I, and, and afterwards, um, the, the lovely people from HarperCollins told me, no, no, you were fine, you were fine. And after a few glasses of wine, I was thinking, oh, maybe I was fine then. <laughs> um, but the next day I went onto Twitter and um, I, I always remember these words because they, they are inscribed into my heart now. Mm -hmm. Juno Dawson had tweeted, um, here's a hill I will die on. Debut authors must have media training. <laughs> <laughs> Very difficult to believe that that wasn't yeah. about me. Aww. So, you, you know, you get that was my first ever thing. So mm. hopefully you get better. No, absolutely. And, you know, I loved meeting you. And just to set the scene, HarperCollins were running a roadshow, which was the first get together, I think, post-COVID. And the aim of these roadshows is basically to get all of the booksellers who work for Waterstones across Scotland excited about the books that are coming out. So you go along. I mean, I had no idea what I was coming to either. And it was a really hot Thursday evening, I think. And, um, you know, they, they show a video of all the books that are coming out. And then you did your chat, which is great. And obviously... I was like, oh, brilliant, there's a Scottish author here because I knew that Juno Dawson was was English. And then afterwards, you have wine and pizza and whatnot. But then there's like hundreds of books that you get to choose, um, which obviously is a great marketing 
um, campaign because it gets the booksellers really excited and they get to read all these novels and non-fiction titles before they actually come out. So I think you did brilliantly and what <laughs> what a baptism of fire and it's great because we met. Uh-huh. So, and actually I noticed in your column since then you've been talking about um, The Change by Kirsten Miller. Yes. I don't know, I mean I absolutely love that book as well and I don't know, that I actually picked up the proof for that that night. I don't know if you did, did you? too. No, do you know, I didn't. I can't remember how I... F- Maybe I did, actually. I'll have to check my bookshelf. But, you know, the funny thing about Kirsten Miller, like, I believe there are six... I call it six degrees of Kevin Bacon because there's so many synchronicities and serendipities. So I read that book and I loved it. Like, I hoovered it. Me too. Loved it, absolutely. So good, isn't it? And, you know, Kirsten Miller is older. And for anyone who hasn't yet read this, I highly recommend it. Basically, it's set in the States. It's kind of based around a sort of Jeffrey Epstein-type scandal, and it features three women, all who are going through the change, and they develop superpowers, and they basically solve murders, and it's brilliant. And so I got in touch with her on Twitter and said, you know, I loved your book, blah, blah, blah. Can I interview you for my Sunday Mail column? She was like, definitely, da-da-da. So we did a, a Zoom, and as it turns out, her ex-husband and the father of her child... Um, is Scottish and he was the drummer his name is Stephen Daly he was the drummer in a a band called Orange Juice wow why am I not surprised that she had a cool ex because she's so cool herself (laughs) so so yeah so she comes to Scotland quite a lot and so I said to her look if you're ever coming over in the next few years please let me know and I can host you at one of my my book events so so that was good so you clearly love reading I know that because we follow each other on Twitter so growing up what was your sort of favorite book from childhood or one that you kind of have fond memories of reading well I mean I've got lots and lots of favorite books I was quite lucky I grew up in a house which was full of books my mum in particular was a reader um, and passed on a love of books to us all. And it's something I've tried to pass on to my own children. I don't know how successful I've been. Um, but she certainly was successful. And so the book that I would like to talk about as my my favourite book of childhood is The Magic Faraway Tree by Enid uh, Blyton. I think, you know, lots of different things make a good book, isn't there? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's hard to sort of pin down what it is that makes a good book. But I feel like one of the things has to be if you remember it years later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely remember this book. I mean, I remember just being transported to the enchanted wood. I remember the excitement on meeting, you know, characters like Saucepan Man, eh, Silky the Fairy. Um, and, you know, as a child... You're not you're not thinking about things like beautiful prose and characterization and pacing, any things that you might look for today. You're just really wanting to be transported to a wonderful land of your imagination, mm-hmm. and and this one really does that. And in terms of other Enid Blyton titles, did you did you hoover all of her work? I, I, so I've got a sister, and I remember um, she always loved the St. Clair novels, uh-huh. you know, the, 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 the boarding school novels, and I yeah. loved Mallory Tower, so we were <laughs> different, different schools. But I, loved, I absolutely loved those. Uh, and of course, I loved The Famous Five. Yeah, it's funny because growing up, I'm the opposite to you. I didn't live in a household with lots of books. So there are actually very, very few books that I remember from my childhood. But, oh, really? Uh-huh. But what I'm doing now is I recently reread The Wolves of Willoughby Chase. Right. don't know if you ever read no, that. No, I don't know that. Um, and I read that on a train going down to London. So basically what I'm starting to do now is revisit 
books from my childhood that I missed. So I remember reading some of the Nancy Drew right. books. Did I never read any Nancy Drew? Um, I remember them. And I also remember the turbulent term of Tyke Tyler. Right. I don't know if you ever read that. No. She was like a tomboy. Um, but there weren't really, it wasn't like a big part of, of growing up. So, I mean, I spent a lot of time in the library, but that was mostly studying or picking up like non-fiction books. Um, so yeah, so I, I'll make, I haven't actually read that particular book right. so well the, another book is fantastic is Pippi Longstocking oh yes guess. now that rings a bell but I can't remember why I, I mean I can't remember too much about <laughs> it except I just remember the name Pippi Longstocking and I absolutely loved it from childhood uh-huh. um, that's that's the amazing thing about books I think there are certain titles that you can pick up regardless of you know your age or where you are in, uh-huh. in your stage of life that you can just pick them up again. And one of the things that is so good about social media, I mean, although it's got all, it's, it's got, there's lots of bad things about it, lots of downsides. Um, but one of the good things is I think that you can, you could put a call on Twitter and just say exactly that. You know, I didn't read much of my childhood. What would you recommend? You mm. would get hundreds of yeah, titles, yeah. you yeah. know, and, mm. and, and it would be bound to be, you know, a great percentage of them you would love. Uh-huh. I've just recently bought, um, what's the French book about the, the prince, the... Little Prince, have you read The Little Prince? No. I've not read no, that either. No, you, you, you introduced me as a voracious reader. Every single title of it. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's so many books, so little time. So in terms of fiction, I know that you love reading fiction, but have you read any non-fiction recently that's really sort of tickled you? Uh-huh. I mean, I, I really read about, I would say, 99.9% fiction. Um only because in my day job, I edit academic texts. And I think, you know, for pleasure, you know, the last thing I really want to do is go and look at another, uh, you know, nonfiction text. But it so happens I was I was a chair of a panel at the Prima Donna Festival this summer. And the two people on my panel were had both written memoirs. Both were fantastic. But I don't know, are you, are you a fan of the Eurovision Song Contest? Um, yes, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll have it on the background. I mean, I'm not like a prolific Well, one of supporter. the guys was um, the world's foremost Eurovision Song Contest bloggers and he has ah. written about his journey to become that. Oh, wow. And, and that was fantastic as well. So that's William Lee Adams, The Wild Dances. But the one that I've chosen um, is called This Ragged Grace by Octavia Bright. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, you know, if you want to talk about beautiful prose, this writing is phenomenal. I mean, it really is. Um, it's a memoir of her recovery from alcohol addiction. Now, she's only a young woman, um, but she's very clear that it's a memoir about recovery Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, these are all the awful things I did while I was, you know, under the influence of alcohol. Um, But she makes a really sort of clever connection between her sort of um, refinding or regaining her sense of self as she comes away from alcohol and her father losing his sense of self as he suffers from Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the clever things she does as well, she takes us on a journey from, from her recovery. I mean, a physical, geographical journey. Mm-hmm. So we're in we're in London, we're in New York, we're in Margate, we're in Italy. And she said, and when I met her in the summer, she said that's because she just couldn't sit still when she was in recovery. So she was all over the place. And her writing is so good in really sort of conveying a sense of the place, the, the feel of the place. You know, not just here are the buildings, here are the bridges. You know, you feel like you're in the, the bustle of New York. You feel like you're in London. So I just think it's a, a really a phenomenal memoir. Um, 
and and you know I know we use this word too much about books, but I really feel it's it's, it's absolutely life affirming. You know, you, you you get to the end of it and you think, God, you go girl, good for you. Mm-hmm. So remind me of the title again. It's called This Ragged Grace by Octavia Bright. Octavia Bright, yeah, sounds wonderful, and I love reading memoirs and autobiographies um, for that very reason because what these types of books do beautifully I think is give you a window into someone else's life and what it's like and I have very many friends who are in recovery I myself don't drink I gave up about 12 years ago and when people are in active addiction it's hell on earth and there are very, very few people who actually manage to recover from alcohol addiction. And I think I love I love the sound of it in that um, I, I'm sure there's there's lots of learnings that could be made because I think most people really don't understand what's involved with alcohol addiction. I think they think it's, you know, potentially a selfish, self-destruct thing when in actual fact, I believe it's a, it's a mental health issue. Uh-huh. And one of the books that I've read of a similar vein um, to this one, I think, is Glorious Rock Bottom by a journalist called Bryony Gordon. Right. I follow her on Instagram. She used to write for The Telegraph and she got herself into such a pickle and she talks about all of the nightmare scenarios and her journey to recovery. And I like the sound of this one because you beautifully described it, but also because it's not, it doesn't sound like it is the, you know, her hitting rock bottom. It sounds like it's her bouncing back. Definitely. And one of the things that she said, which I think is so interesting and and rang so true for me, was that people think that if you're, you know... when you're always drunk, you're always out having good times, you're partying, it's all great fun. She said, actually, when you are the person who's uh, suffering from alcohol addiction, um, it's really boring. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing over mm-hmm. and over again, mm-hmm. Try chasing something, trying to find something that you're never going to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said, you know, for her, you know, the best thing that she's done has to be to recover from alcohol. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I really liked about her, I mean, you know, so I'm from working class Scotland, right? Octavia Bright is a very privileged um, young London, um, you know, a young person from London. So we're, we're totally opposite. And when I read her book, part of me was thinking, my goodness, what a privileged upbringing she's had. What has she got to be, you know, complaining about? And I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not going to like this person, although I love, <laughs> really love her writing. My goodness, when I met her, what a warm, down-to-earth, lovely person she was. I loved everything she said. I, I You know, I really, really warmed her. And that was a real lesson for me. Yeah. Do not judge people before you meet them. Absolutely. And, you know, I think... One of the people that really surprised me was Susanna Constantine. Um, I don't know if you've read her book. No, no, but I know of her. Okay. She's, she's also a recovering alcoholic. She is. So Susanna Constantine was one half of Trini and Susanna. Right. Hugely successful duo, TV shows, book deals, you name it. Born into life of privilege. But her book is all about and it's in the title basically she was a debutante she was her father basically wanted her to grow up and just become a wife and have kids basically and she didn't want to do that and she fell into active addiction as did Trini Woodall Uh, they both have that in common and she came to one of my book events in Glasgow in fact we did two because she was so popular she was amazing because she spoke about how she relied on alcohol for confidence Uh and the thing about alcohol addiction is it's really 
it's really dark in that your body and your brain becomes addicted to it. So, you know, you try and stop and you want more, you want more and you want more. But the whole thing about alcohol addiction is that, you know, when you drink, you're intoxicated and the clues in the word toxic mm-hmm. and it makes you feel utterly depressed if you're doing it too much. So I love it when people have the courage um, and the honesty to write about their journey because I think it really helps people. I think it helps people who are in those shoes, but also friends and families and colleagues understand that this is not something that people do by choice. Uh-huh. And it's not all party, party, party it's, either. It's you know, not. There's some things in here, although like I say, she, she concentrates more on renewal and recovery, but there are some episodes in here where you just think, oh my goodness, what a shame. Mm-hmm. That You know, that poor girl. Mm-hmm. So did you buy the book because you met Octavia or did, were you aware of the book before you met? Uh, no, so I was chairing this panel, mm-hmm. so I had to read the books, obviously, right. in order to be able to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And I just feel as though people were saying, that's a great panel. I say, no, it, th- those panellists were fantastic. They mm-hmm. were so interesting. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I hope I'm not making this book sound as though it's depressing because no, it she is so funny and yeah. witty, uh, articulate. Yeah. I mean, I really recommend it. No, it sounds fab. I'm, and I'm actually going to go and order it. Once we finish, <laughs> so okay, thank you, Octavia. Ma- we've done, we've done our job. <laughs> Super. So, in terms of a novel that you've read recently, what's one that you would rave about? Do you know I really struggle with this question because I've read so many fantastic novels, and if I may, I'd just like to give a shout out to two. First of all, uh, Colin Walsh's Kayla. Oh, have you read that? No, tell me about it. Oh, it's fantastic. So he's an Irish guy. In fact, he came to um, Waterstones on our guest street to talk about it and I didn't know anything about his novel oh my goodness what a clever clever guy is he's so engaging and so funny which you wouldn't expect from the book the book is not funny um it's a really sort of dark partly coming of age tale part um a serious mystery and it's so many twists and turns and this guy um Colin Walsh apparently this is his first novel unbelievable um He's won loads and loads of awards for his short stories. Now, that doesn't surprise me because the novel itself is fantastic. I mean, the writing is just out of this world. Wonderful. I, I saw last night he was he was um, up for the Waterstones debut of the year, mm-hmm. uh, but he didn't win. Okay. Um, and I haven't read the winner, um, so I can't say, but I was really rooting for Colin. Great. Um, the other book that I'd like to rave about is Winnie Lee's Complicit. If you don't know if you heard of oh, that. Oh, I've got it. Right, oh my goodness. That's, I haven't read it yet. Br- she's coming to Scotland, actually. I saw her put on Twitter is last she? night. She's coming to Scotland, I can't remember, I think September. Is this the one, so I've had a look at the cover, it's the dark red cover. and That might be the hardback. Yes, the um, hardback that I've got. Is this the one about, it's like Harvey Weinstein? Yes, yes. Right, okay. So she herself, um, another lovely girl, I know, the reason, I said as I know all these people, the reason I know them, <laughs> a lot of them is because a lot of them come to Prima Donna. So this is the, the yeah. you know, the competition that I won and now the festival's on every year. So I met Winnie at Prima Donna. So she herself was a film producer, so she knows what she's talking about. She's written this story, um, which is set against the background of the Me Too movement in Hollywood from the perspective of a young female film producer. Um, and it is really, really riveting. Okay. I mean, it's so engrossing. You just want to just, you know, keep keep yeah, turning yeah. the pages. Great. I love it when you find a book like that. Um, and there's been a few that I've felt like that this year. The one that I've just started... Uh, two nights ago I don't know if you've come across it or if you've seen anything about it it's called The Trap by Catherine Howard no I don't think I know that one set in Ireland and it's about some women who go they disappear 
but part of the narration is the man who's abducted these women. So I'm only about a third of the way through, but it's like, I can't wait to go. <laughs> just, I, can't, I can't wait to get back to... I just to, love that when you yeah, get like that, oh, don't you? so good, isn't it? So what is the book you're going to chat so, about today? I mean, your listeners can't see this, but I'm sure if they could see the book, they would know immediately the book that I'd chosen. <laughs> the cover is iconic already. It's Yellow Face by yes. Rebecca Quang. Now, when I um, bought this book, I, I, I wasn't really fancying it that much. Um, but I thought, you know, there's so much buzz, there's so much hype, I've really got to read this book, everybody's reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking that I wouldn't love it, my goodness, I could not stop reading it. I read it on holiday, I lost about two days of my holiday because <laughs> didn't want to come to the table, didn't want to do the activities, didn't want to see anybody, just wanted to keep reading mm-hmm. uh, the book. So it's a, it's a sort of satire on the publishing industry. And, uh, you know, as an editor and now a published author myself, I know the publishing industry quite well. It is spot on. I mean, there are so many times where I was just nodding my head and saying, oh, yes, oh, aha. You know, and I love the way, you know, she really shines the light on, you know, stupid, stupid things that authors, all of us, including myself, we all worry about, but we shouldn't worry about, you know, mm-hmm. you know, stupid things. Uh, and she really shines a spotlight on that. So, yeah, for that reason, I would really recommend it. The thing that I enjoyed about this one was the will she get caught angle. So just set the premise for us. Um, so she's she's a young writer who has a friend who is much, much more famous than she is. Um, the friend dies in really weird circumstances and she decides to steal her manuscript and pass it off as her own. Mm-hmm. And the question throughout the book is, can she get away with it? Yeah. And, and like you say, there's so many twists and turns to it. You mm. think she's getting away with it, then uh-huh. she isn't, then uh-huh. she is, then she isn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right until the very last page, she's uh-huh. like, okay, I'm going to give it another go. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, you know, I am, um, someone actually sent me a copy of the book and for some reason I thought I'll take that along to one of my book Facebook swap events and I don't know who picked it up and I'm so curious as to who got to read it because I then went to buy it because I saw someone had raved about it on Twitter and I thought gosh right I'm just gonna buy it and like you I hoovered it absolutely hoovered it and have recommended it to so many people I mean there's a lot of chat about you know why is it so successful is it is it all down to the marketing and the hype and you know You've got to say, yes, it was everywhere. Yes, the marketing campaign, the marketing spend must have been huge, right? Mm -hmm. However, that, I think, would make somebody like me buy it but it wouldn't make somebody like me rave about it. Same here. So it's got to be more, hasn't it, than mm-hmm. just the hype and the mm-hmm. marketing. You've got it's got to be a story worth reading. Absolutely. And just just to kind of discuss that a wee bit further, one of the things that really bugs me about book marketing is overhyping, because I often find, and I'm not going to name names, but there are certain authors who are massively hyped. And I've read the book and I'll obviously have a subconscious expectation because, I, you know, Stephen King said, duh, and mm-hmm. such and such said, duh. And I've actually walked away and gone, do you know what? I've read much better books that just don't have the marketing machine behind them. Yes, I mean, I far prefer to get my book recommendations from fellow readers, Same fellow writers, fellow readers, um, book bloggers, um, because these are people who are not invested in making this book a, a bestseller for any reason other than, look, this is a great book. You should mm-hmm. read this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it is a sad fact of the industry that, you know, the more marketing money that is spent on a book, mm-hmm. you know, probably the more they're going to sell. Mm-hmm. But like I say, I, I think a book, to, to be... Um, 
to sort of earn its place, it needs to have more than just be, you know, marketed. And one of the things that kind of bugs me as well is when we talk about, you know, what makes a book successful, people will often point out, you know, oh, this is like, oh, the author was great. The author's great at publicity. It's, it's not always just to do with the author. Really, all we have got control over is writing the best book that we can possibly write. What happens to it when it goes out in the world after that, you know, is 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 down to so many other factors. I mean, you know, as I say, my my attempt at marketing at that showcase, hello, I've, <laughs> I've written a book. You know, if it was just down to that, then, it, you know, nobody would have bought yeah. it ever. <laughs> but, you know, I actually, and I'm not just saying this, but I've said this to you before, I actually warmed to you massively because... Because of that, because I think that it's very difficult to be all things to all people. You know, all pop stars aren't amazing at, you know, personal appearances or interviews and things like that. I don't think you need to be brilliant at everything. I think if you write a really good book and people love it, there will be a natural upswell. And that, I think, is why I love the book community so much. You know, the book bloggers, you know, the people who are as you say, have no investment in the success of a book. There's no financial gain. You're, you know, they're not like an influencer and paid to promote a book. If if the book community loves a book, they embrace it. And I think you've done that so well with Ginger and me because people love it. So they talk about it. Oh, that's kind of you to say. I think as well, I, I've made a conscious decision that I'm I'm not a marketer. I'm not a PR person. So when I come on anything like this, I'm just myself. And, you know, either you will, you will like that or yeah. you won't like it. But I don't really see the point in trying to pretend that I'm, you know, something other than I am. Exactly. Um, but that's what I mean. I love that. You know, I, I honestly, I don't think you should change. I think that's part of your success is that you are you. And also, I love the fact that you're so supportive of other writers, of other Scottish writers. And also, you're a shining example of because you came to writing in your 40s that it's never too late? No, definitely not. And it's not even um, an age thing. I think it's really important to say it doesn't matter where you're from either. Um, so one of the things I love to do when I go into schools, when I talk about um, writing, I mean, you've never met anybody more enthusiastic about writing in your life than, <laughs> than school kids, right? You're particularly the <laughs> ones that are in the writing club because they're really into their writing. And I think it's really, really important. And you know, not not to name drop, but I've, 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 I've had this conversation with Graham McRae Burnett and he's, he's very much of the same opinion. It's really important to get into Scottish schools and say, look, we are Scottish. We are from small places that nobody's ever heard of, oh, unless you love your tunics, you know, in <laughs> Scotland. Um, and I've published a book. Mm -hmm. You can do it too. Mm -hmm. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you have to be based in London. You have to be middle class. Don't even let them tell you you have to go to university. Mm -hmm. You do not. You have If you have a story to tell, your story is just as valid, just as important as anybody else's story. And I think, you know, it's, it's incumbent upon the current generation of Scottish writers to do this for the next generation, to pass this message along. And somebody who does it, I just think brilliantly, is Graham Armstrong. Yes. I mean, you know, his book, The Young Team, is very appealing, I think, to young people. But his message is really appealing and really important. Mm -hmm. He was involved in uh, gang culture. He was involved in drink and drugs. However, he got, he, he, he turned it all around. He's got a book. You can do it too. 
Absolutely. And he's another example of someone who's in recovery um, uh-huh. and who's turned their life around. He's amazing. Now, I could chat to you all day about I know, I could, I could talk about bits. <laughs> let's, let's carry on. <laughs> so tell me about what's next for you. Well, my next novel is coming out in spring 2025. It's called Graffiti Girls. It's in the same sort of world as Ginger and Me, which is to say small town, working class Scotland. It's contemporary. Um, Our protagonists this time are four middle-aged women. They've been friends in school. Uh, They hit their 40s and look around them and think, God, you know... Life, life is just not as great as we thought it might be when we were at school. Uh-huh. So led by arch-feminist Amy, um, they decide to embark upon a graffiti campaign in their local town and they scrawl patri- anti-patriarchy slogans all over the buildings. So the novel is about the fallout from that and how eventually these four women um, find another way of getting what they're worth in life, getting mm-hmm. what they deserve. They're not prepared to just fade into the background at 40. No, no, no. They are going to go on and achieve and that's what they do. Sounds brilliant. I love the sound of it already. Thank you. And what about Ginger Me? Any any potential for it to be turned into film or a TV series? Or? Um, yes, yes. Wow. So um, last week, so this, this is, negotiations this have been ongoing for, you know, forever. Um, however, last week, Sign Seal delivered, um, a, a, a signed uh, the rights for Ginger and Me to be made into a film. Wow. So can't say too much about it, not least because I don't know too much about it, but suffice to say I am dress shopping for the red carpet. <laughs> That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. So very, very deserved. I've loved having you on today. Will you please come back when your next novel's about to come out? Oh, I would absolutely love to. Thanks for having me. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take 30 seconds to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps. New episodes drop every Thursday. Thanks so much for listening. 